0: Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's Evangelist Jonathan. I want you, if you have your Bible, because that's the theme for the month. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Great segment, by the way. Thanks. Goes quick. That was go quick. The whole, the whole 90 minutes goes quick. First Timothy 4, 8. It really does. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. So notice that second part of the verse. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So that was the opposite of what I heard at about every uh, Pentecostal youth camp growing up. That, well, you live for the Lord and you're going to give up a lot of things now. You might not be popular. You won't have any money. But one day it'll be worth it when you get to heaven. They always wrote off the blessings of God. Mirari, Mr. Rogers is back because I have a sweater on. What a racist thing to say. Any white guy with a sweater, you make some kind of remark like that. I wish Trump would build the wall just around you. Anyway, uh, as I was saying before I was rudely interrupted by Sandy Garcia's half-wit sister, um, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. So that verse shows you right there that you living for God doesn't just carry benefits in heaven. Paul said it carries... It's profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life that is to come. And I wanted to read what Dick had to say about the, the verses I'm going to open up with. So let, let me check it real quick. Threefold profit of godliness. Profits in all things, profits in this life, and prophets in the life that is to come. The life to come is eternal life, which one receives as an unforfeitable possession at the end of this life of sowing to the Spirit. Eternal life is received now. On condition. So That's what he had to say there. Godliness is profitable unto all things, holding promise in the life that is now and the life that is to come. And so, yeah, I wore a thicker sweater today because I wore that thin one yesterday. And I was looking at the replay of the shoulders of Adam Schiff,
1: the
0: representative from California that hates Trump. That looks like he ran out of testosterone like 35 years ago. So I know I'm gonna have to look I was at it. stuff to, bo- bo- yeah. Look, you can look it up. I was like bordering on bobblehead, like tiny body, <laughs> a huge head, or like you could pull my jaw down and a pez come out. It's sick. <laughs> he actually has wider Hold shoulders.
1: the same picture. You know what I mean? Wow, well, that's funny. I didn't like that. Yeah.
0: 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears> 2 <throat> Timothy 2.19. This is what my dad highlighted in, in every Bible or would write it in the, in, the, in the cover page that he ever got me. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he will be a vessel (coughs) unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared... For every good work. Next verse, Second Timothy two twenty two. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and them that call on the Lord with a pure heart. Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation, it draws it out even clearer. Second Timothy chapter two Verse nineteen. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. In other words, this is the foundation of a profitable life. The Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. But God's uh, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you should say that watching where you're at. If I keep myself pure then the Bible tells you what will happen. You will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. Run from everything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. I'll read the verse after that. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. So the Bible tells you that as a Christian, you're not supposed to get into doctrinal arguments with people and be on Facebook arguing, you know, pro vaccine, anti vaccine, flat earth, round, round earth, whatever. You're supposed to be doing things that affect eternity and be a peaceful person. So the Bible says the foundation for a profitable life is that you, res- you, you, you put away all evil that, that's the foundation stone. The Lord knows those that are his, and all who belong to the Lord must put away wickedness. Let me see what notes Mr. Dick put on this. I'd be interested. In verse 19 it is stated that God's truth is like a sure foundation regardless of how many make shipwreck of their faith men are to build on this foundation and be judged and will be judged as to how they build it seven things you you have to purge yourself from according to the Bible the affairs of this life backslidings verse 12 let's see what it says about it. unbelief false doctrines that destroy faith, profane and vain babblings that lead to ungodliness, false teachers that overthrow faith, and all iniquity and dishonor. Then he has the four blessings of purging yourself. You'll become a vessel of honor. You'll receive sanctification. You'll be fit for the master's use. And you'll be prepared for every good work. Eight commands to Timothy. If you say, slow down, I need to write them. Remember that uh, on the replay, you can watch as many times as you want. Flee, flee from lust. Follow righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Avoid foolish and unlearned questions that engender strife. Don't strive with men. Be gentle unto all men. Be apt to teach. Be patient. And instruct rebels with the view of reclaiming them to the truth. So, pretty good instruction. Godliness is profitable unto all things. I want you to write this in the comments, and then I'd like you to write it wherever uh, you're watching, wherever you're taking notes. Godliness engenders greatness. The foundation of living in the exceeding greatness of God on this life is a godly, holy life. You take the four major stars of the Bible, and, and you could name more than four. Moses, Joseph, Daniel, Jesus, Paul. They were men that were devoted to godly living and would not entangle themselves in sin, would not bow to the gods of this world. So this is like a forgotten point in Western Christianity. Godliness engenders greatness. This is what I want you to see. Because godliness is profitable unto all things, holding value both now and in the life that is to come, then godliness does more than just save you from hell. And godliness does more than just ensure your place in heaven. Godliness ensures your constant rising to the top while you live life on this earth. Consequently, if Joseph sleeps with Potiphar's wife, best case scenario, he dies head slave in Potiphar's home or takes over Potiphar's estate, if his wife gets it in the divorce. That's it. Sin is the devil's attempt to shipwreck God's great plan for your life. As long as you see it that way, the appeal of sin and the appeal of temptation loses its luster in your life because you realize it's it's Satan's plan to shipwreck the glorious destiny that God has for you. And that's why I'm taking a month on it. You know, we've already mapped out all 12 things, that, uh, 12 pillars of the faith that we're going to teach on. I actually narrowed it down to 11. Uh, we're going to do healing twice and just cover it every month. That way I'm not jumping on every kind of new doctrine or controversy, talking about the Momo challenge that doesn't exist, and have to apologize the next day. We're going to stay with the doctrines of the Bible and build this strong into your spirit. Again, remember, godliness engenders greatness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's decision to not bow to the, to the idol of the culture they were in and to maintain their integrity before God. Not only saved them from the fiery furnace, it granted them promotion to the highest level in that kingdom. Daniel's refusal to compromise his relationship with God, even in the face of intense pressure, not only saved him from the lion's den, he was promoted as high as you could go. In a nation that hated his race. Godliness engenders greatness. Every time the devil tries to get you to compromise your relationship with God. There's Casper, Wyoming. I wonder if that's the same lady that called in. I've still been thinking about just making a trip up there to do a meeting for you and your family and everybody else that wants to come. If it's you, great to have you on. If it's not you, great to have you on. So, When you make a choice to not compromise your relationship with God, you are choosing to stay on a path that the Bible says in Proverbs 4.18. The path of the upright, not the path of the church attender, the path of the upright in character, the path of the man that lives according to the Bible shines brighter and brighter until that perfect day. So if you don't leave that path, God never leaves you. And when God never leaves your life, you're shining and you're breaking forth is guaranteed before I move past that scripture. Notice the Bible says in God's house, this is in the New Testament, everybody's not equal. There's actually four levels that some are gold, some are silver, some are wood, and some are clay or earth. So you can see that, that your godly living is what determines what drawer God puts you in in his house. Whether you're the plastic silverware drawer, fit fit for common occasions, or whether you're a gold utensil that's broken out when the president comes to town. That's not determined by God. That's determined by you choosing to live in purity. Love you too, Kenya. Tuning in from Kenya. Love you. Nice to feel love from East Africa, from the greatest coffee plantations in the world. Glad you're watching, Ezo. So you choose that, you know, the difference between being the work, the worship leader or backup worship leader at a church of 23 people, or when you take the stage, 20,000 people coming, you know, that's why it's stupid to get jealous or upset over who has big platforms. You know, why does he, you know, I don't like how he does that. You can't control that. God is the one that raises up and God is the one who casts another down, and that's done by a person's choices. It's not done randomly. And so godliness is the foundation for greatness. You can write that as well. Godliness is the foundation for greatness. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, and I'll start right around verse 23. Can I have a uh, yellow can, please? Matthew sixteen twenty three. If I believed in servant leadership, I would get it myself. Matthew 16. <laughs> no, just kidding. Matthew 16. Thank you. Oh, it's 15. I was going to say. I'll start at verse 22. Then Peter took Jesus and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. What were they talking about? Jesus was saying that he must go and be crucified. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Jesus. This shall not be unto thee. Don't You're not going to be crucified. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but that be of men. The voice that speaks against sacrifice is not the voice of reason or common sense. It's the voice of Satan. You see it there. God speaks to every person who follows him To sacrifice. We're going to get into this today. Taking up your cross. What does that mean? When Jesus was talking about literally taking up his cross and getting on his cross, Peter pulled him aside and began to rebuke him. So I want you to notice this. Every time, don't miss this. Every time God speaks to you about giving something up and forsaking something for the gospel and for him and for his kingdom, there will always be a voice that emerges that tells you not to do it. That is not the voice of reason. That is not the voice of common sense. You tell your parents you feel called to the ministry. What are you going to do? There's not going to be any money. You should go to, to school for it. That's not reason. That's not common sense. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you're wrong. Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Called him Satan. The same guy who was telling two paragraphs before, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Get behind me, Satan, for the th- you value the things that are of men, not the things that are of God. Anytime a voice emerges in your life that speaks against the sacrifice that God tells you to make in your spirit, it's not the voice of man, it's not the voice of common sense, it's not the voice of reason, it's the voice of Satan. Verse 24, then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find true life. And what is a man profited if he gains the whole world But loses his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me see Dick's notes on this just out of curiosity. What does it mean to take up your cross? If you come from a church that glorifies sickness and poverty, then they tell you that taking up your cross, you know, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer and God gave me this cross to bear. That's not it. I want to deal with you today. I want to deal with the, the fivefold taking up of your cross that a Christian. Is called to do. What does it mean to take up your cross? The cross is crucifixion, it's sacrifice. Number one, taking up your cross. Remember, Jesus said, If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What gets crucified? What gets sacrificed when you take up your cross? Number one, the taking up of your cross. Is the crucifixion of your flesh? Turn to Galatians chapter five. Galatians the fifth chapter, verse sixteen. Are you able to read Galatians five sixteen? Yes, I can. What do you do? So Ta- type writing, the notes up of yeah. the thing and then put it on the website.
1: Yeah, we're trying to do that.
0: Oh, that's cool. Galatians. Galatians five sixteen, and 5, you can 16. read it through the end of the chapter.
1: Uh, New Living Translation. Through
0: 24, 16 to 24, yeah, New Living Translation. So
1: I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you against... Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God.
0: Now, pause there. This was not written to the unbelievers in Galatia. This was a letter written to the church in Galatia. So if once you get saved, you're automatically good to go. Don't worry. God, God knew all your future sins. Then why did Paul waste his time writing letters back to all the Christians saying, let me tell you as I told you before. Anyone who lives in sexual immorality, that's any sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality, drunkenness, debauchery, uh, wild parties. Let me tell you, as I told you before, those people will not enter the kingdom of God because you're not, it's not you get saved and you're good to go. That you're, a man is to keep a close watch on the way he lives and keep his body. In holiness. Go ahead.
1: But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That's still 23?
0: Through 24.
1: 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another.
0: So Paul said that uh, 24th verse, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So if there's no evidence of that, it's proof that, that it's that person's not a Christian. The Bible says in first John, I mean, I'll read it. First John chapter three. And I, I got, I got to hurry. But here's all the stuff you you won't hear preached in the West. (coughs) 1 John 3, 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. Not when someone messes up and sins. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. So you're living in righteousness outwardly. You're living in sin outwardly is the proof of who you belong to according to the Bible. And so the Bible says that what does it mean to take up your cross? Number one, that you've nailed your sinful desires to the cross with Christ. Not you're trying to get victory, not keep me in prayer. That daily you are nailing the desires of your sinful nature to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the three that, that it deals with that are the most common. The majority of the people watching are in America and Canada. Sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage. If you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you sleep together, I you know. I don't, I don't know how much to say, then people get mad that because because they, they know I'm talking about them or whatever. So I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it. I'll phrase it like this, you know, the West, the Western church gives you a pass. You know, I used to think um, that, that if, if me and my girlfriend were on a date, and we ended up falling into sin. If Jesus would have come back right then, I'd have missed heaven. But I'm thankful I have a better understanding of grace to know that it will take a lot more than that to keep, to, to, for you to miss heaven. Uh, I, would you really want to roll the dice on that? If you knew Jesus was coming at 4 p.m. today for his church that's living holy and keeping their robes spotless and without blemish. You'd want to roll the dice that you're, that you're at a bar drunk or at a party or whatever. The Bible says that part of our motivation of keeping our garments white is because we, J- Jesus will come for his church like a thief in the night. No man knows the day or the hour. So we keep ourselves pure under the coming of the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that gives you a pass, On sin. It is not a doctrine that comes from the Bible. It's a doctrine that comes from hell. Anything that makes you comfortable in a moral living, it will rob you of your place in eternity. Take it from me. You will not come to age 38 or 40 like I am and regret living a holy life in high school, in college, in your early 20s. I'm not saying anything, man, my parent. I, I, I watch these people on Twitter and stuff. I grew up in the church you know that they made it seem like if you did, if you did anything that was a sin, you were going to miss heaven. I missed out on so much. I didn't miss out on anything. I look at the same people that are my age that have lived in sin. They look terrible. They're not happy. They have to take medication to get through the day for their mind. But true religion is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There are peace. There's a peace and a joy that accompanies the righteousness of God. I want you to see that. You live in a wild party obsessed culture. You live in a drunkenness obsessed culture. That even the preachers drink now. And encourage other people to drink. It's wrong. Intoxification in all forms is condemned in the Bible. Marijuana, I don't care what all they legalize. I'm not smoking marijuana and getting high. You need a clean sober mind. How terrible it would be to not know whether you can trust your own thoughts, whether they're coming from the Spirit of God or coming from cocaine or marijuana or whatever else you ingested. And you definitely live in America in a sex-obsessed culture. It's how people identify. You know, without getting in to, to any kind of like what the Bible says about homosexuality or anything, just think how dumb it is to identify as straight or homosexual or bisexual or lesbian. Your, your identification is based on something you do seven minutes every other week, 40 minutes a week if you're really out there, you know, screwing around. That's, your, that's how you identify. That's like identifying by how, that you have lungs or, or whatever. It's stupid. Everything in America revolves around sex. Got sixty-two-year-old women getting breast implants and trying to look hot when they're supposed to be grandmothers. Because the whole culture—seventy-year-old guys getting tanned and facelifts and dressing with their shirts unbuttoned—you know, it's ridiculous. You're not supposed to look hot when you're sixty, or you're supposed to be wise. You're supposed to be a leader. And so you're going to have to recognize that you live in that culture. But that's not what, how the Bible tells us to live, to be obsessed with looking hot, whether we can get women or whether you can land men or not. It is a stupid, fruitless, problematic way to live life. Those who follow Jesus Christ have crucified those passions to the cross. Number one, a Christian crucifies their flesh. Number two, a Christian crucifies their life. What do I mean by that? Jesus said you must deny yourself. Say that with me, deny yourself. These are the three parts. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does a crucified life mean? Listen to this. Anytime there is a conflict between your life and what God has called you to do as a Christian, then you bow to the orders of your master. I hear parents, listen to me now. I hear parents now say, you know, it's very hard to be a parent because all the sports are on Sundays now. You want to know why all the sports are on Sunday now? And why they didn't used to be on Sunday? Because there used to be Christian parents who the municipal office knew. If we make Little League or football or wrestling or whatever else on a Sunday morning, all the kids that go to church won't be there, and, and we won't be able to, to, to compete. So the, the commitment of the Christians forced the city. That's why stores stayed closed on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. And many states closed all day Sunday because there was morning church and night church. They knew people wouldn't be out shopping. I can tell you, and I'm not old. I didn't grow My family went to church Sunday morning. We went to lunch after church. And we went back and took a nap, mandatory. I was not allowed to go over to my friend's house. It was a day to rest and go to church, and that's it. It was not 80 minutes to get out of the way to resume our normal life. It was a day given to the Lord. And now, because of the weak commitment of... That's why there's sports on Sunday. Because there's no commitment. There is no crucifying of the life of the American Christian. Oh, well, you know... Mike won't be able to be at, at, at church uh, for the, about the next six weeks. He, As you know, pastor, he made the travel hockey team and all the tournament games are on Sunday. You are a crap mother and a crap father that is teaching your child to honor the commitments of the world over the commitment to God. You'll answer to God for it. That's how people backslide. Because their parents train them. Anytime there's a conflict with your schedule and God's house, choose your schedule. And they end up my age empty and broken because of garbage Christian parents that don't teach them. We are full-time Christians and part-time everything else. Teach your child to honor God. Tell your coach that you're a Christian. And on Sundays, we're in the house of God. I did thought I was going to get cut was ready to get cut you weren't allowed to miss any games for any reason weren't even allowed to miss practices and they put our schedule out and 12 of the 20 games not on Sunday or on my youth night that wasn't optional revival services weren't optional you know Um, Carrie has her SATs coming up, so she won't be able to be at any of the revival meetings. Let me tell you, I had a deacon father tell me that about his 16-year-old daughter. She got radically touched on Sunday morning. Boy, I wish she could come to the rest of the meetings. You know, we had been so worried about her, and God really touched her today. But she has SATs, and we want her to get into a good school. Well, you know, she, she followed me and Adolis on Facebook. This is years ago. So we would see her pictures on the feed. We watched her get into a good school. And within about six months, there'd be no trace that she had ever known God as wicked as can be. I don't know where she is now on her way to hell because of dumb parents, stupid parents. Stupid. You shipwreck your child's soul for what? What? To get into the University of Wisconsin, New York University, what do you freaking do? What does it profit a man if they gain the whole world at the expense of their soul? Meanwhile, I had parents that made me, made me. It was enforced in our home. Honor God. And where has it gotten me? Sure, I may not have any money or, or, or fame or houses, but no. Took in $3 million last year. Take in more this year. Godliness engenders greatness. All of those things are tests where God is watching to see your devotion to him. And when you pass the test, you move from earth drawer, clay drawer, Wood drawer, silver drawer, to gold drawer. Nobody pursues God at a loss. The harder you pursue God, the harder his blessings follow after you. I guess we'll just get through those those two today. Let me read you one scripture to close this segment. Second Chronicles 15. And if you're a parent, You know, I'm sure there's parents watching that made those decisions because you didn't know. Nobody holds anybody accountable. Somebody tells their pastor, pastor, I won't be able to be in church three Sundays a week. You know, I just got a new job and I have to work Sundays. American pastors don't say anything. "Oh, Oh, yeah. No, I understand. Obviously, you have to pay the bills. So people don't know. I'm probably I might be the first that ever told you what God expects. You read, did you know in the early part of the 1900s, there were Olympic athletes that missed their event because they were on Sunday morning, qualified for the Olympics, went to London or wherever, and would not run their race because it was on the Lord's Day. And that was the generation that sent missionaries all over the world because it was the cross before me and the world behind me. Now you have demonized Christians. That go to church and have the same interest that the world has. Pray that I get a promotion. I'm believing for a new car. I'm believing for a bigger house. You you don't even know what Christianity is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not when you have time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will just be added unto you. God will load you down with blessings. Without your permission, your only responsibility is to put him first. Put his word first. Put your time in prayer first. 2 Kings 15. Kings or Chronicles? Uh, Chronicles, sorry. 2 Chronicles 15. Verse 8. Will you read 8 through uh, 15? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: When Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin, and in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim. Manasseh and Simeon, who had settled among them. For many from Israel had removed or had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. The people gathered at Jerusalem in late spring during the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. On that day they sacrificed to the Lord seven hundred cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in battle. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to, get, to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and rams' horns sounding. All Judah was, were happy ab- about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. For they had
0: entered into it with all their heart. That they would serve the Lord with all their heart and watch what God did when they made that covenant.
1: They earnestly sought after God and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. And the
0: Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. When you serve God, in it righteousness, peace. What, What kind of peace? The peace where nothing can trouble you. God said, if you serve me with all your heart, your enemy will attempt to attack you from one direction. He'll run in seven directions. I need breakthrough. I need heal. You need to put God first. And God said, my part of the deal is seek me with all your heart. And I'll give you rest from your enemies on every side. Financial enemies. Sickness and disease. and Anything the Bible marks as an enemy. Yes. Notice that it was a company. So I'll finish this tomorrow. But I want you to notice. That this was accompanied with an offering. When they realized what serving God with all their heart meant. They gave an offering of sacrifice. I want to challenge you to do what the Bible calls an offering of sacrifice. I wrote this in, in my book on sacrificial giving. What is an offering of sacrifice? An offering of sacrifice is not simply giving your best. It's giving your, beyond your best. Abraham is an example of a man who gave beyond his best. Abraham offering Isaac to the Lord as a sacrifice was not his best. His son was beyond his best. When God sent Jesus, he wasn't giving his best. He was giving beyond his best. God gave his only son to mankind to be slaughtered. Look at the harvest it produced. Today's sons and daughters are still being led into the kingdom of God. Part of taking up your cross is sacrificing what you have For the work of the Lord and doing it in faith. When when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, he didn't do it sadly. Knowing that God was able to raise Isaac back from the dead. An offering of sacrifice provokes unusual, uncommon blessing. I want you to ask the Lord what he would have you to do today. If you've not been a tither, if you've never done anything that would truly constitute large-scale giving for the gospel... I want you to do it today. Those of you watching on Facebook, hashtag donate. On YouTube, they're going to put up the uh, text to give. And you can also go to revivaltoday.com and click give now. I want you to go ahead and do that right now as we get ready to go on national television. Reach as many people as we reach in those crusades. Thank you for everybody who gives today. We're going to enter into the next part where I'm going to speak on five problems that only Christ can solve. Continue your giving and I'll see you soon.